Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. If there's something I need, I don't already have. I know I'll get it from a good friend. If there's something I need. Hi, everybody. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. You're listening to the Good Friend Podcast, presented to you by iHeartRadio. It's a podcast about friendship, sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly, the triumphs of friendship, the immense connection and emotion of friendship, the laughter, and occasionally the tears. We explore it all in an unscripted, very freeform way with many, many different guests, some I'm very close friends with, some I've never met. And I hope that you will take away from it something that connects you to your friends and that the ideas that we talk about can maybe be taken into your own friendships. So sit back or take a walk or however you listen. I hope you enjoy it and stay tuned. Look at what's happening here right now. Look how delighted I am. I got your beautiful package today. That was such a gorgeous thing. Well, for the uninitiated listener, um, I was raised by a woman who, I, you know, I'm trying to remember if my mom, I always had to write thank you notes. That was like, yes. like a given, like absolute, but I'm trying to remember if my mother said always bring a hostess gift, or if that was maybe my own invention, I think it was sort of mine. And so um, what Danny Shapiro, my guest here on the Good Friend Podcast, is mentioning 
is that as a hostess gift to my guests, I found uh, from my favorite little store, by the way, if any of you are looking for a new place to spend, it's a wonderful store called Sir Slash Madam. Um, and it has beautiful house objet and wooden pieces and linen and tapestries. And they happened to have handkerchiefs that say friend and coffee mugs for the male guests. Mm-hmm. They got coffee mugs that say friend. It's beautiful. And the box says friend. And and have you always had, I mean, have you always had that handwriting, like that beautiful, beautiful, it's so distinctive. It's so completely yours. I would know it anywhere. And I love it so much. I mean, was that sort of, was that your mother? Was that part like, was that like penmanship and kind of? So what you all do also need to know, which is so amazing, because I'm going to answer a question and then I'm going to stop, is that Danny also is a fantastic, besides being a, you know, it's the words, the words become so, excuse my French, effing cheap. So I, the hyperbole gets in my way sometimes. Danny is a talented writer. I met her because of her novels. We bonded because of her memoir, and she also has now expanded particularly one of her memoir into podcasting and conversations, and now travels the world doing really conversations, really getting into the meat of the matter. So it's so wonderful that she's sort of interviewing me here and asking me about my handwriting. So here is the truth of my handwriting, Danny Shapiro. I like my hair, I never felt um, good. Uh, I don't know about you. I mean, we can obviously, this is, you know, when I was young, I did not like my body. I didn't know what I was, where I was, what, where I began and ended. I didn't have real definition at all. And if you look back on any history of Jamie pictures of me back in the day, you know, my hair was long and then it was short, then it was curly, that thing. And, um, you know, I had my hair permed once on a thing, and then I dyed it blonde for a movie, and then my hair broke off. And for the first time, I went to a hairdresser in Beverly Hills named Jose Eber, who had a book called Shake Your Head, Darling, which I guess was like the whole sort of frothy hair. And he cut my hair off. And that was really the first beginning of it. So hair was always a problem for me until I went, oh, I look really good with like short hair. And the minute I get it a little longer and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll grow my hair. It's like the worst decision. But the other thing was my handwriting. I, if you look back on my childhood teen handwriting, I literally bent left, bent right, looped, flowery. I wanted the signature. My stepmother, my father's wife had a very distinctive handwriting and I remember it. And I remember thinking how amazing it looked. And so over the years, I finally realized, oh, I don't write in cursive, I print. And as soon as I started printing with, as you have kindly said, in some sort of way that has become me, it has solidified or at least established the way I write. Speaking of the way people write, good segue, huh? 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 See? See? I didn't even realize we were recording from right right from the beginning. You know what? My experience is that because of the nature of this, I my odd the my audience, 
my, you're mine. You people are mine and mine only. You know, as you know, people have a lot of podcasts to choose from. And so whoever has found their way here has found their way here for a reason. And the reason for me is that it is an unexpected, unplanned conversation about friendship. So I like to just begin because it's how friendships just begin. So you are the only person I will speak to on my podcast um, who I Twitter stalked or cyber stalked or internet stalked. I wrote you a fan letter. I remember. And I was thinking about it today. Um, I was thinking about my my novel, Family History, had come out. It was new-ish, but it, you know, it'd been out for probably a few months. And I was checking my email one morning, and there was an email from Jamie Lee Curtis. And I was like, you know, it's sort of like the way that people, when they win MacArthur's or they find out that they've been you know, <laughs> nominated for something, and it's like, yeah, right, and they hang up on the person. I was like, yeah, sure. Like, who's playing a joke on me? And why is Jamie Lee? And, and, and it was a fan letter. And you had, um, I believe that your daughter, Annie, had, and you were at a bookstore in LA and you just liked the book jacket. That's exactly right. A completely arresting book jacket. I'm looking at it right now in my office. It's, I have only two book jackets that I love enough to have had posters made of them mm -hmm. um, to hang in my office. And that's one of them. And it's a photograph of a young girl who's hanging upside down from either a balance beam or sort of a barn beam. And it's a really arresting photograph. And you are a wonderful photographer yourself and you collect photography. And I think the, the photograph drew you. And no question. The title family history. It was just a great jacket. Yeah. It was a great jacket. Um, it. I need to give props to Dutton's books in Brentwood, which is long gone. Yeah. Another another one bites the dust, but it was a fantastic bookstore filled with books and readers of books. Both the staff and the clientele were avid readers, and I'm an avid reader. I'm not a voracious reader, and I don't read 24 hours a day, but I'm an avid reader. I, I do enjoy to read. And my teenage daughter and I were at Dutton's, and I remember we both were walking by the new fiction, and there was this picture of this young girl hanging upside down. And I think Annie sort of looked at it and kind of said, oh, that looks cool. And I grabbed it, and Annie read it first. And I remember she came to me and said, mom, you have to read this. And that has, it was not, you know, it was, she was a teenage young woman and, <laughs> you know, Teenagehood with any of us is challenging. And it was about a conflict in a family with the parents. And there was a chi another child. And we had recently had Tom, who was an infant or was a young kid at the time. And I read it in our, in our country home. I know that just sounds gross, but it's like up in the mountains, it's a log cabin, but it's, a, it's our country home. And I remember I looked on the back and it, it had the you know, contact the author, dannyshapiro.com or whatever the, through whatever. I don't, I don't remember what the email address was. And I remember I wanted to say to you, a woman, obviously I'd never met, how rare that was, that the power of a book to connect people is profound when it really lands. And it landed for us. It opened a conversation and 
I was thanking you for that because honestly, it had been struggle, a struggle. And, you know, it, it was a moment of grace. And it was because you were the portal through which that moment of grace occurred. And that was important. I was thinking too, this morning, I, I knew we were going to be talking about friendship and our friendship and friendship and all things friendship. And I was thinking about sort of the, the way it unfolded for us after that, because I don't know if you remember this, but I remember everything. All right. So I'm sure you'll remember the this. lunch on Ab- off of Abbott Kinney before lunch. So we had a back and forth, um, you know, once I was convinced it actually was you. <laughs> and there was a movie in the works. Uh, it, had, you know, family history had been option and there was a movie in the works and they were casting it. And I wrote to you like one evening saying, I wonder, you love the book. I wonder if you'd be you know, interested in playing the main character. You're sort of the right, you know, you, you'd be amazing. And then about two hours later, I had this feeling and the feeling was, oh, no, 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 no. This woman reached out to me, human being to human being, having had this experience of reading this novel and she's very famous and she's a very wonderful actor, but she probably has people asking her for all the time. And I don't want to be that person. I really don't. And I wrote back to you and I said, disregard that previous email. You pr- I, wrote, I wrote some version of what I just said to you. Like, disregard that. I That is not my interest in our back and forth here. And, and I think that that was actually this like second step in our becoming friends. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, I didn't want anything from you. I think that's the thing to kind of branch off from really from this, the beginning of this conversation is the idea of wanting a friendship where you don't want something from someone. Cause we're in a business where everybody wants something from everybody almost always. If it's an endorsement, if it's a blurb, if it's a, can you amplify this now with social media? I'm sure you people listening have seen that it's, you know, it becomes a bit of a mutual admiration society out there. You just want to amplify other people's work and you have this portal, you know, social media to do it with. And we've all become adept at it. But I agree with you. I didn't. I didn't want anything from you. I didn't want the rights to your book. I wasn't trying to grab that and somehow kind of turn this nice feeling into then commerce and business together. There was no agenda, no agenda at all. And and I think that that like that feeling of, you know, especially when people meet each other as grown-ups um with a lot of history behind us, you know, it's I think I really treasure the handful of friendships that I've made in recent years. You know, there's that expression, you can't make an old friend. You can't make an old friend. You know, it's like, so I have old friends that stay in my life that might not be people that I would become friends with today, but they've they've known me. They knew me when I had, you know, when I was a creature of the handwriting going in every direction, mm-hmm. the, you know, shapeless creature. But going into just a, especially in a way when, we know each other's stories in a certain way, the public stories, right? And I think I just had a very strong feeling of nah, right? And so then I was going to be in LA 
And actually you picked me up at my hotel. I was with my husband and very small son at the time. My son, I think was probably six. Mm -hmm. And you picked me up and said hello to my boys. And we drove to Venice to this street on Venice called Abbott Kinney that has since become like truly one of my favorite uh, walking streets anywhere in the world. And we, I think we had, I think we had coffee or tea and then we were walking on Abbott Kinney. I remember a couple of things. One thing I remember is that we were passing by some maintenance workers, sanitation guys who were, you know, taking out the garbage and, and they recognized you and they shouted across this empty lot at you like, I love your work. And, and you shouted back, I love your work. And I just thought like, wow, okay, all right. Um, and then there was a stray cat in the uh, courtyard of the place where we were sitting and having our tea. And you walked over to <laughs> a table um, where there were a couple of people having their breakfast. And you said, excuse me. And they looked up at you like, yeah. And you said, um, could I take your milk for the cat and just put it in my, like, sure. So there were just all of these kind of, I just was kind of witness to, and I know you don't like compliments, so I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll move through no, this. No, no, I'm, I'm just, I appreciate everything you've said. I'm, I'm, it's not like I don't like a good compliment. We all do. I was witnessing your um, generous humanity and your absolute um, determination to not let your celebrity be a barrier between you and other human beings. And I appreciate that. And I definitely try to do so in my daily life. I do. I do want to be a worker among workers. And I do. I remember the cat. Um, I don't think I remember the the maintenance workers, but I will confirm that that occurred, even though I don't have a distinct memory of it. What I remember was we were walking down the street and we passed a jewelry shop. and. You know, there was pretty, you know, the way jewelry shops are. You know, you look at things and you're like, oh, that's pretty. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah. Oh, thing. And I said something like, well, yeah, but I don't, I, I, I only, I only wear one person's jewelry. And you said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm neighbors and a very close friend of a jeweler named Kathy Waterman. And I am loyal. And I, I, and I said, you know, I, I'm wearing my child charm and it has my children's name on it and it's from her. And you looked at me and you went like this. And I'm now explaining to the people who are not watching us. Um, she pointed to her ears, her hand and her neck. And she went, Kathy Waterman, Kathy Waterman, Kathy Waterman. And in that moment, that was because Kathy Waterman had been a new friend through my ch- daughter and her daughter. And I was incredibly loyal and loved Kathy. She's also a lady of the canyon. I mean, she is the sort of hippie goddess that we all want to be. Um, incredibly smart, was a lawyer and a jewelry designer. And I just remember like, oh, this is going to be so fun because I knew I was going to connect your dot. I knew it. It was just in that moment. And then there was another thing that happened about photography and we were talking about photography. So in 100-yard walk, so many things that mattered to both of us, so many things that connected to, I mean, people don't wear jewelry unless it speaks to them. It wasn't like you were fancy women who are changing their 
big stuff daily to go with their outfit. You know, these are things we wear and touch every day. They're talismans of our lives. And here we were two brand new friends. And what I loved was we were sort of adult women and we were extending ourselves to say to each other, do you want to be friends? It was no different than two little kids meeting in the sandbox going, well, do you want to be my pen, my friend? Well, I'll be fine with you. You know, you we just little kids do it. Teenagers do it in that way. Like, hey, hey, what's your name? Oh, yeah, it's cool. I like your shoes. Oh, thanks. I think one of the things that's interesting is like little kids like we you've watched your kids, you know, grow up and have make friends. And I've watched my son grow up and make friends or not, you know, and one of the things that's interesting about like kid friendships is like whatever draws little kids to each other, whatever that energy is or whatever that kind of um, chemistry is, that can morph and change, right? You know, I mean, Jacob was very close with a couple of kids in in, uh, grade school and up until middle school that weren't necessarily going to be his, you know, like sort of lifelong, like they'll always be friends, but they kind of have taken different paths in life. And I think there's something that happens when you're pretty fully baked as, uh, you know, a human, you know, you're pretty, like you've come out of the kiln and, you know, you're kind of, I mean, hopefully we always grow and change and hopefully there's always softness and malleability, but you're, you're pretty much who you are and your losses and your successes and your loves and your, and your griefs have all formed you. And so you're, I think it's a different, maybe deeper kind of recognition of like, oh, like fellow traveler. And the opposite happens too. Like whenever I'm in New York or anywhere urban, usually, because I live in the middle of nowhere, so I don't pass by people, I'll see someone on the street. And sometimes the words that go through my mind is, oh, give that person a wide berth. You know, like not good energy, like not, it goes both directions. And I think that that happened that day. And that was just so cool. And we did have all of these like kind of really amazing, surprising, very particular connections. We'll be right back with more Good Friend after this quick break. So stick around. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to, like, that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. What drew us to each other, what drew me to you was your work. It started with the word. It started with your imagination, your brain, the way you spoke of family, whatever distillation that novel was of whatever family issues and stuff that you had either experienced yourself or bore witness to or heard secondhand. It comes out through the beautiful creation of the idea, which, you know, the John Steinbeck, who says that there are nothing great was ever created by two people, that it's the miracle of creation takes place in one mind. Then it can be built on and expanded, but nothing is invented by two people. It's not possible because it has to come from one point. And to me, I was drawn to the emotional reaction I had to the work that you wrote and then reached out to say thank you for it with no attachment, never thought I'd meet you, you know, kind of said, and then it began. And it's, you know, and then it began. And then it began because then it's an email and then it's I'm going to be in L.A. And, and the truth is. If we both hadn't leaned in, we wouldn't be sitting here today talking to each other so many years later, so many lives later, because we leaned in. And whatever we trusted in each other in that moment, we met for lunch. We met not even for lunch. It was, as you said, it was like a coffee and I think we were going to be together at the most two hours. You know, I think it was you were doing something in L.A. and I was doing something and it was like, oh, I'm in L.A., Great. Let's just go grab a coffee and get to know each other. And this is a beautiful example of that, how we have gotten to know each other over the years. Um, one in particular, you know, I've I wanted this show show. It's such a weird word. Um, I'm still trying to learn how to talk about what we're doing because it's happening here. And then, of course, it'll people will listen to it later and then. You know what I mean? It's it's a weird world. You've been doing it for a long time. I'm new at this part of it. And so I'm learning the language and the feelings around the language. I very much didn't want this to be, and I have no issue with people who do do this, but I did not want this to be about selling things. Um, I felt I didn't, I didn't ask anybody because of anything that I wasn't going to people saying, well, you have a new book and I'd love to have you come and talk about your new book. Like I don't, the, people's work is, are going to come up in conversation because it's the nature. But I also, I, it's why I didn't want to introduce people like my next guest is this and has written this and that, but it comes out naturally. So 
it's it's germane to uh you know a connect the dot that I think is important, which is you wrote a book called Devotion, which many people, myself included, was very um, moved slash helped by because you explored as a great memoirist does. You take your own experience, you go into it, but you take us with you. And so it's such a great opportunity because it makes you then look at your own life and your own family and your own. So we go with you, but it could be my family. It could be so-and-so's family. And that's the beauty of a memoir is that it brings us into yours and then it connects us back to our own. And yours had to do with faith and searching. Can you just explain the book for a second so that I can explain then the context I'm going to talk about, just so that I don't do a poor example of talking about what your book is about? No, thanks. Um, devotion. I mean, I had no, I had, I was, nobody was more surprised than I was when I started writing what I guess was, you know, a spiritual memoir. When I realized that that was something I was going to be doing, uh, I was sort of horrified because I, I don't read them. Uh, it sounded boring to me, like, you know, spending the next 18 months of my life contemplating the big questions. How is there, how is there drama in that? Like what's going to make anybody want to turn the pages? And, and really, I mean, it came to be because my son, so many things come back down to, you know, my son is that he started asking me questions when he was a little kid. And those questions were, what do you believe? And what do you think happens when we die? And um, do you believe in God? And I was raised with a lot of certainty about all that, surrounded by a lot of certainty. I was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. And I um, felt like he deserved a mother who had thought deeply about all that. And I couldn't say I had. I had opted out. And I had sort of run as quickly and as far away from, you know, any of the big spiritual questions as I could. And now I was sort of in early midlife. And here was this little kid who wanted, I, you know, it's not even that he wanted answers. And I wasn't looking for answers. But when, when I finally started writing Devotion, I had two things in mind. One is that I wanted to live inside the questions. I did not want to leave my own backyard, essentially. I didn't want to go to India. I didn't want to go to Israel. I didn't want to go to Tibet. It, it, I had the feeling that the answers weren't like out there to be grasped, but that they were that if I opened my eyes and if I opened my ears, that a lot would be revealed to me. And that's and that was the kind of astonishment for me in writing that book is that that's what happened. And I live in the middle of nowhere. And some of the greatest spiritual teachers of our time, like practically wandered into my backyard. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but yeah. And became friends with you through that process. It was an utterly, utterly life-changing book for me, more than any other book of mine, because, you know, I don't write, I don't go on journeys ever so that I can write a book about the journey. Like, I, I have a burning question of some sort, an inquiry, a desire to know something. And the only way I know how to explore that thing and the only way that I can give myself permission to explore that thing is by putting pen to paper. So I write the book in order to go on the journey in a way. I mean, mm -hmm. it, 
Like it, it's, it's, I mean, there are some terrific books that are written sort of as like, I'm going to spend a year, the, you know, the year of living in this way. That wasn't what I wanted to do. But the other thing that, that another way that that book was life-changing for me is it cured me of my terminal specialness. It cured me of my, I mean, I, uh, until devotion, I was terrified of public speaking, had to take a sedative if I was giving a reading in front of 20 people in a smoky bar in the East Village, I had to medicate myself because I was going to die. I mean, my, my heart would pound in my chest. My palms would sweat. I was so frightened. Um, and then devotion, the process of like that exploration, it o- allowed me to, you know, to like, I now can get up in front of thousands of people and I really am not I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not afraid because they are me and I am them. And it doesn't feel, I mean, I'm, I'm aware that what I do is put into language and into form what we all feel when I'm writing a memoir, it's using my own life as a laboratory when I'm writing fiction. And, you know, and it's interesting because your response to, to family history, which is a novel, I actually think that fiction is more revealing than memoir in many ways because the writer is not as in control of it. Uh, we, we're, you know, we're pulling from the universe all around us and mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that they're not mm-hmm. like very conscious of in order to be able to to make a world. We're making a world instead of, in a sense, reporting on a world. Mm-hmm. And when you made devotion, um, you were going to a writer's conference in Idaho, and I was going to be in conversation with you, uh, as we are here now, simply um, opening doors and letting you walk through them in the way you just so eloquently did about your process of that book and the process of writing devotion and the surprise you found yourself doing it. So, I we have done this dance before you and me, and it's with someone who has that sort of depth of you know the sort of trifecta of the ability to metabolize something in the present to be able to live in the middle of the question, and also the sort of divinity aspect of something that you've worked out or, or the book helped you work out about you know why am I effing here like why am I here. Um, so for me, it was very easy because I just literally, it was like, okay, I'll open that door. And then you, we went through that door and you took us all explained where we were in that door. So, but what I remember was the trip there, the flying there. That's what I was thinking about when you were saying that. Yeah. Yeah, Because we were both nervous flyers. Um, and we both have children and husbands and friends. And, you know, there is a release of control <laughs> in a big way in travel. And we all, probably every person listening to us today has in their lives gotten on an airplane. And here we were going on a small airplane to a small area in the mountains to do this talk together. And yet there was this there was turbulence and it was not a terrible flight, but it was, it was a little bumpy. 
what I recall is is the the pilot several times. I mean, that particular airport is surrounded by mountains. It's like one of those airports, and uh, you know, there's not a lot of room for error. Uh, and I remember the pilot, I think, trying to come in back up again a couple of times. Yes. Sort of deciding, no, not this landing. Nope, nope, nope. And saying, I'm going to try one more time. And if we can't land, then, then, then we're going to go to another place. And right. And <laughs> like, I was, it was TMI for me. Yeah. We'll be right back with more Good Friend after this quick break. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. What I remember is we held hands. I remember we looked at each other. I believe we said the meta prayer to each other. You know, I'm, I know strangers hold hands when they're nervous. Um, I, I used to refer to people as my airplane wife or my airplane husband and be sit down to a stranger and be like, oh, hello, you're my airplane husband. How fun. Hi, I'm Jamie. <laughs> We're going to be married and I may grab your leg or arm. And, you know, you can't, I mean, in my world, you can't help it. I just can't help my, my, my sister, Kelly, um, my, the OG best friend, you know, good friend is my sister, Kelly, uh, who would call it making friends. And she would say to me, did you make any friends today, Jamie? Because I would, you know, there's my airplane husband. He's sitting next to me. And before we're landing, we have downloaded the connection. And usually there is a connect the dot. There usually is something that has made that 
moment together. Often, I will never see them again. Occasionally, I get an occasional text. Hey, Jamie, it's Evan, your airplane husband from Texas. How are you doing? How's everything? I'm going to be in LA. Do you want to get grab a coffee? And most of the time, that doesn't happen. Um, but in those moments, I remember, it's funny, I remembered it this morning when I was preparing and not preparing, like, you know, I wasn't like cramming reading every book you've written. I, but I was thinking about our friendship and our connection and what makes a good friend and that level of trust that we felt. And in that moment of being a little, it was a little funky. It was just a moment of, this is a little funkier than I'm even, and I'm pretty, you know, water off a duck's back kind of girl. And it was a moment. And I remember looking in our eyes and that we were, we, uh, you know, let me be safe. May I be happy. May happy. I be strong. May I, may I live with ease. And I've, the only thing you need to know about the meta prayer for those uninitiated meta prayers who just received it. I have, because I couldn't remember, <laughs> I switched it to S words. So I said, I have changed the meta prayer and I, I, I may get struck by lightning when I leave my the nature of prayer that it changes over time. Okay. Thank you. Danny Shapiro just saved me from feeling like laying in bed tonight going like, ah, um, I say, may I be safe? May I be satisfied? May I be strong? May I be steady? Mm. So I have metabolized that prayer into four S's and I do that prayer for, I do it for myself. I do it for my people, my, the closest people, um, my husband and, you know, my immediate family, um, my children, my sister, my siblings, my family. Then my friends are the next one. Then my older friends, the people who are um, needing more support right now who are vulnerable. And then other people who are vulnerable, people who are sick, people who are struggling with illnesses. Then I go to people who I'm in conflict with. I then go to the general public, the world at large, strangers. And um, for me, that's how it works is that I, I, and I do that daily with other sort of readings and meditations. Um, and, but that's how I apply. But I remember looking, like I remember it like it was yesterday, holding hands, looking at each other deep into each other's eyes, saying those words, giving each other the support and comfort. Um, and that's <laughs> support and comfort. Isn't that what a good friend is? Ultimately, at the end of the day, we both don't live near each other. We're never going to be those kind of girlfriends because we, it's just physically impossible. And we're not those people anyway. I think, though, that it's a mark of a true friendship when you can pick up where you left off. And, you know, when you don't live, you know, there there are friendships that are like within community. Um, you know, I have friends who live in my county in northwestern Connecticut, and I see them probably most frequently or mm -hmm. um, during this year of the pandemic. Uh, one of my best and oldest friends, we have a Saturday evening six o'clock date 
that has pretty much been like a sacred, we're gonna, we're gonna zoom and spend a little time together. Um, but when we're sort of, you know, far flung and we find ourselves in the same place or we get on a call um, as, as you and I have done, you know, like, like a really early morning call. I remember, well, actually there, there are two things I wanna say. I was gonna say, I remember when I made my most recent discovery about family secrets that actually ended up inspiring the podcast that I that I host um, and and my book Inheritance. Um, none of that had happened yet. I was meeting you for coffee at the Brentwood Country Mart. You know, actually, I remember at another dinner with you know you and some of your girlfriends who have some of whom have become girlfriends of mine over the years at the Brentwood Country Mart at this place that I really love called Farm Shop, which I've got to say, I get their emails every day, Farm Shop Santa Monica, and it just, or Brentwood Farm Shop, mm-hmm, Farm Shop. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have such LA like longing, especially during the pandemic, every time I get one of Farm Shop's emails, like with their with their takeout menus, but that's an aside. Um, I remember meeting you at the Brentwood Country Mart and we were walking around and we, uh, I, I started to tell you that I had discovered through taking a DNA test that my dad, my beloved, my everything dad, uh, who raised me had not been my biological father, which was something I had never known anything about. Um, and I was in a state of still very much reeling from it. And I remember you got very focused. Mm-hmm. And very quiet. We sat outside at a picnic we table. We sat outside at like a chirping chicken picnic mm-hmm. table. Um, and you just were so, I mean, talk about support and comfort. You got it um, instantly. You had, you knew me, you had read enough of my work. You knew what that, I mean, talk about like the kind of radical empathy of that kind of moment, because, you know, my experience, although there are quite a lot of us who have had this experience, as it turns out, my experience is not something that everybody can, you know, easily relate to. It was one of my biggest challenges in writing the book. You know, I mean, in other books of mine, I write about my father's death in a car accident. Well, anybody can connect to that. Like that could happen to any of us. I write about my son's illness when he was a baby and almost losing him. Anyone is going to be able to empathize with almost losing a child. I discovered that my father wasn't my biological father from taking a DNA test. And then I found out that my parents had fertility problems. They went to a sperm bank and my biological father's a sperm donor. And then I, you know, like what, you know, and I encountered a lot of like, what, you know, a lot and, and people wanting to put band-aids on it, people wanting to say, oh, your father's still your father, you know, like just like absolute lack of like, what's the big deal? You've got a great life. Look at you. I mean, you should just be grateful. you got great genes. It turned out fine. I got so much of that, Jamie. And what, and or just people wanting to fix it, fix me, fix my pain, fix, fix the trauma, make it better. You like just sat there and trained your attention on me and your compassion 
and you asked me questions and uh you, you know you 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 got me to just tell you the story um and it was a gift and then we had to meet some other friends for lunch and then and then we we sort of stopped but during the lunch I felt you and I wasn't talking about it I wasn't talking about it in the larger group and I felt you I felt like you looking at me and kind of nodding and taking it in and that it was something that you were really deeply processing. Well, you called it radical empathy. I think if you if we were looking for new descriptions or descriptors of good friend, what does it mean to be a good friend? Is that you have to have radical empathy. That's yeah. the what a good friend has. Yeah. Um, you have to remember you had written a book called Devotion much of it dedicated to your father, much of it dedicated to also experiencing, wondering, asking hard questions. Why am I a blonde, blue-eyed girl in a Jewish family? Where the F did I come from? Like, you wasn't you posing that question of the connection to your devotion to his devotion to the religion that you, as you said, you were raised in that home of orthodoxy. You still describe in that book, looking in the mirror and going, really? And so it wasn't a surprise to me at all. I remember thinking, oh, of course. Yeah, And the leaning in, I think we lean in together. And I think, you know, this show, whatever it is, it was born out of the the pandemic. It was it wasn't like I was, hmm, I need something to do. I've got plenty to do. That wasn't it. It was there's the song Good Friend by Emily King. And I play her music a lot. And. I remember hearing that song on, you know, repeat and saying, oh, I need to do a show about friendship and call it good for the good friend show, like the good friend podcast. And again, it wasn't like my big need to be like in the podcast world and I'm going to get in there. I really I'm not that person. I don't spend a lot of time listening to almost anything. I'm busy and I'm not that person. And yet. It, the questions started coming up. What is a good friend? And your description today of radical empathy is a very good descriptor, another good in the beautiful offering bowl that this show is by the end of it, all of the different people's ideas of what it means to be a good friend. Um, in that moment, I remembered everything about that moment and knew everything that had led up to it because I, at that point, was a good friend of yours, had explored devotion with you, had opened those doors with you. And so it also was heartbreaking to watch you feel, not intellectualize, but feel it. Your eyes were brimmed with tears beautiful blue eyes just pouring tears down your face gently it wasn't a big histrionic moment that's a big big thing to learn well what what you just said about not intellectualizing it but feeling it 
was the like the difference between what I had been doing up until then. Like here's you know trying to make sense of something that didn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, recently, I watched Oprah Winfrey's interview with with Meghan Markle and 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 Prince Harry, or the Duchess of Sussex and Prince and Prince Harry. And I turned to my husband, uh, Michael, as we were watching, because there was a moment where like the Duchess was not giving Oprah what Oprah she she wasn't being honest. She wasn't like there was some, there was a way in which she wasn't totally like she was skirting something. And I looked at Oprah's face and. I'm one of the few people who can say this. I said, I said to Michael, I know that look. I've had that look trained on me because when I was Oprah's guest on Super Soul Sunday, when devotion, when we, that's what she wanted to talk about was devotion. There were any number of times during my long conversation with her where I just kind of got the, you know, the kind of, uh, yeah, I'm not buying this look. And she was right. She was right. She has an extraordinary bullshit detector. And I didn't know that there was, you know, anything to call bullshit about. But but the other thing I wanted to say in terms of friendship, two things. One, in terms of this show and podcasting, I think the reason why you were drawn to it during this time is because this form of storytelling this way in which we are listening and receiving information is very intimate. Well, it's it's as intimate as reading. I think it's more intimate than watching something because we're usually doing that with other people. Yes. And I specifically didn't want this to be on camera. I mean, we are seeing each other through the portal that we're, but it's, we are not on camera. You are hearing our voices. Right. And having voices in your ears that's very, very uh, intimate and, and allows for that empathy to happen because there's nobody watching, you know, it's people who are listening are usually, uh, you know, they're alone when they're listening, they're in their cars or they're taking a walk or they're working out or they're folding laundry. Um, I, I, I just took a walk uh, before we were meeting because I needed to listen to one of my own shows and you know, it's just that feeling of like something being in 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 your ears. That's that is a very that I find to be a very beautiful thing. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say, you're just making me think so much about friendship and going all the way back to that first after that first morning when you and I were hanging out. I had absolutely no idea that I was going to do this, but I told you. Uh, something extremely personal. Uh, the reason for my family's trip out to the West Coast, which I'm comfortable sharing now, all these years later, but then was a huge vulnerability for me, which was that we were trying to have an, a second child. And we were, you know, ironically enough, going through all sorts of fertility treatments. I mean, ironically, because I was repeating history without even knowing it, right? Um, but that was something very few people knew. I was sitting with you, a brand new, maybe friend, you know, maybe we would never see each other again. Um, but there was something and it wasn't confessional and I wasn't like blurting something out or spilling the beans. I was sharing something with you and it was something very vulnerable and it was a risk. 
Um, because like I knew you intuitively, but I didn't know you know you. And, you know, it's possible when you share something with someone you don't know well, that they could respond in a way that might be hurtful, which is why it's a risk and why it's vulnerable making. But there is no true friendship without that. (laughs) Okay, there's the sound bite. Wow, (laughs) there it is. I mean, honestly, there it is. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. And I also remember how delicate it was because you'd had health scares with Jacob and you had shared about them. And here you were trying at that moment um, to see if, you know, the universe, God's grace was going to happen in that moment for you guys. And that it was and and anyone listening who has gone through fertility treatments and the amount of hormones and the underbelly, that gentle, beautiful underbelly of vulnerability that you shared with me, that's what we're looking for. I may want to know who makes your pretty blouse, but that's not, I'm not going to build a friendship on it. I'm just not, it's just not possible. And I remember I felt so privileged that you trusted me and knew both that I would hold that trust, that I was then trustworthy, which is, again, a good friend. Those are the fundamental building blocks of what makes someone a good friend. Trust is comfort, but trust to be able to show that delicate, beautiful underbelly of vulnerability, that here you were a successful woman with a beautiful man that you loved and this sweet guy, this little guy who had had some health stuff and now was healthy. And there you were saying, do I want to do this again? How hard are we going to try for this? How disappointing is that going to be? Or it already probably had been if you had gotten to that point. So I, I do remember I do remember, I remember driving home thinking, wow, because I want that. That's what I want. That's the stuff I want in a friendship. That's the juice. I mean, you, that's the, that's the aliveness and, you know, you and I, well, I was going to say you and I are both um, big fans of Mark Nebo, but that is actually not accurate. What is accurate is that I became a fan of Mark Nepo because you gifted me in 2003 with uh, the book of Awakening, which is uh, my favorite of his books and has become, you know, part of my morning practice, you know, for all these years. And the reading this morning was actually exactly about what we're talking about. I'm tempted to go grab it. It was really short. Should I go grab it? Go grab it. Okay. I don't have it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's probably on my phone. Hold, please. No, watch this. Technology working for us. Just when we think technology is not good for us, here it is. The name of it is responsibility. True inner responsibility centers on our willingness to give voice to whatever is happening to us in the midst of a relationship. This is important both for you and the person you are relating to. If you are not present, there is nothing to respond to. 
and love only becomes real in the world through our ability to respond. Bringing who you are to a relationship, being your true self, gives others the opportunity to transcend their limitations by acting on their love. It gives the other person a chance to show up. If you remain voiceless, then I can unconsciously keep living out whatever inequity or imbalance I'm involved in with you. But once you show your hurt or frustration or confusion or question, then I have the chance to stop my unconscious participation in the pattern of our relationship. The key to whether I will respond to you or not often has to do with love, the only thing that can break the inertia of old behavior. We can be driving along the endless summer highway locked in some pattern that has become suffocating to you. But until you are moved by some sudden wind that shows the willow's trunk as we speed by, until you are moved to say, quote, I can't go on like this, end quote. I can't have the chance to say, quote, I don't want it to be like this either. Until you break your silence, I can't have the chance to say, what can we do to change all this? Often we spend so much time waiting for the other to catch on and see our pain, getting more and more frustrated and wounded the longer they don't. But this is the definition of a limitation, not being able to see what is obvious. So while we dread voicing our fears and hurts to one another, love has no way of being acted on without something truthful to respond to. Wow. How's that for a full circle moment? Yeah, I feel like now we could just sit here and talk for the next three hours um, and go deep diving in time and place and husbands and children, work and hair and glasses and old houses and beautiful places and all the joys of our friendship. And I'm really grateful to you today for coming on and ending with a reading by Mark. There it was, full right. circle. Thank you, Danny Shapiro, for being such a good friend. And that's not some sort of cloyed thing. That's pretty true. So for whoever's listening, stay safe, do what you're supposed to do, and God bless you all. Take care. Good Friend is produced by Dylan Fagan and is a production of iHeartRadio. Our theme song, Good Friend, is written, produced, and performed by Emily King. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. No one likes to talk about money. Am I saving enough? Can I buy a house? 
Am I paying too much in taxes? Will I be able to retire? What if you could unlock insights about your finances in less than five minutes with a clear picture of where you stand today and where your money can work harder? Now you can. Visit facet.com to take the free quiz and get your financial wellness score today. That's F-A-C-E-T.com. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hey, 